Father, we are, um, we are blessed to be here this morning, to gather together as family and guests, to be encouraged in our faith together this morning. And Lord, that's my simple prayer is, as a result of singing together and being together and hearing from your word, that Lord, we would be encouraged and that we would walk out of here with a greater view of you in our hearts and in our minds. We would walk out of here more in love with you. That we'd be encouraged, Lord, to live our lives for you. And Lord, we would walk out of here with a burden lifted off of our shoulders. Because we've been reminded of your grace in and through your son, Jesus. We pray you do all of that this morning. And as we study Luke chapter 1 together, Lord, I pray that you would bring us to this place where we can confess that we are constantly tempted to look to the things of this world for our joy. But Lord, I pray that as we study this this morning, you would help us to believe that our joy is only found in Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we ask that you would do that in our hearts right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, this morning as we get started, I want you to imagine a scenario, okay? Just picture this in your head, all right? You are an oppressed people, and you're living in the land that your ancestors have always lived in, but you've been conquered by a massive empire, a superpower. And so you no longer govern yourselves. You're now under the governance and the rule of this huge empire. But your people have always held on to this promise that one day God would send a king and this king would assume the throne and he would do it forever and he would be a powerful king that, that no one could match. And you hear a rumor that this angel had appeared and had announced that this, this king had arrived, that he was here, this king that your people had been waiting for for centuries, he's here. So, so there it is, there's our scenario. How would you script the rest of the story? How would you write the ending of that story? What would be your expectation of this king and how he would take back the throne. Well, let me tell you how I don't think we would script it. I don't think we would write into the story that this king makes his grand entrance as a little infant born in a stable. I don't think we would write in that this king grows up in poverty and works a blue-collar job. I don't think we would write in that this king would be executed by the very empire that has conquered your land. You know, we're in the second week of Advent where we are celebrating the arrival, the advent of Jesus Christ. And last week, we studied how all of the Bible announces to us that Jesus is our true king. 
But he was not a king that made his entrance with a military behind him ready to establish a geopolitical force. No, this is a king who arrives with the power of God behind him and who has come to conquer sin and death itself. A king who has assumed the throne and will remain there for all of eternity. But here's what we got to keep in mind. The things of this world just don't work like things do in God's kingdom. So in this world, we view leadership and authority and power as a right to use others for our own personal gain. And so here's what happened. When the true king came, when, when Jesus arrived... And he was announced to Israel that the king that they had been waiting for for centuries had arrived. Many missed it. It just went by without them even noticing. Because this king came to serve and not to be served. Uh, This king came to actually give his life for his people. This was a king who did not need worldly wealth or worldly power in order to have all authority. This was a king that was literally not of this world. And because we are so acclimated, all of us, we're so acclimated to the ways of the world in the same way that God's people missed Jesus as their king and how we can miss Jesus as our king, I also think we can miss the fact that Jesus is our joy. We have been discipled by the world trained by the world to believe that our joy, our fulfillment, our happiness, our sweet spot in life is given to us by the world, that it's out there for us to go and get. But that too is just something that it just doesn't work that way. The the way things work in the world just don't work like that in the kingdom of God. And so we're gonna study this morning how Jesus is our joy. And remember, for Advent this year, we're, we're studying four different announcements about who Jesus is that are found in Luke chapters 1 and, and 2. So last week we studied the, uh, Gabriel's announcement to Mary that Jesus was going uh, to come. And so this morning, we're going to study what is traditionally called the Magnificat. It's a song by Mary found in, in Luke chapter 1, praising God for what he was doing through her and allowing her to carry Jesus in her womb. And in this song, Mary announces that Jesus is our true joy. Uh, We use the word joy a lot here at Grace Hill, and that's because our vision as a church is to be a church where all people can find joy in Jesus. We believe with everything that we are that Jesus is where our true joy is found, but we are so trained to look for it in the world. And so I want to read our text this morning and discover how Jesus is our true joy. But let me give you a little bit of context before we jump into the the text. Uh, So after the angel Gabriel came to Mary and, and told her that she would be carrying this king, the Messiah, in her womb, uh, Mary went off to her relative's house, Elizabeth, all right, and she stayed there for a little bit. Um, Elizabeth, at the time, was carrying John the Baptist in her womb. And we're going to talk more about John the Baptist next Sunday. But God had called John to be the one who would announce to the world 
that the Messiah, the king, had come. He would be the one who would go to Israel before Jesus and make this announcement. And so when Mary arrives at Elizabeth's house, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist, leaps in her womb. It was uh, his first prophetic announcement of the king. And so the king of kings, the savior, the Messiah, even though he was just a, a little fetus inside Mary's womb, had entered into Elizabeth's house. And the Holy Spirit comes and they just have this worship service. It says that the Holy Spirit filled them all and they were just praising God because of what he was doing with them. And so this is a moment right here that Mary breaks out in song. And we read that song in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. And so this is the song I want us to read uh, this morning. Let me read that for us. Luke 1, 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. Because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he spoke to our ancestors. This is Mary's song. And so earlier, when, when Gabriel came to Mary and, and announced to her that she was gonna carry Jesus in her womb, and right here in this song, we read that Mary had the favor of God upon her. So, so Mary praises God because he's given her his favor, and, and Gabriel comes to her and says, you have the favor of God on you. And again, as people who are acclimated to the ways of the world around us, what we assume it means to have the favor of God on you may not be quite accurate. There are some who preach that to have the favor of God on you is basically means that, that God is going to bless you materially. So he's going to give you wealth or cure your diseases or remove your obstacles or give you a breakthrough. But this is exactly what the world is doing, imposing itself on what it means to have the favor of God. We can all fall into the trap of believing that, that worldly gain, worldly wealth, worldly power and, and influence, healthy bodies is the definition of the favor of God because we've been deceived into believing that this is what will make us happy. This is, this is where my joy is found. And so if my joy is in those things, then God's favor upon me means I will, I will have those things. But for Mary, what did it mean that the favor of God was upon her? What it meant was she was pregnant out of wedlock. She was betrothed to Joseph at the time, not married. So what do you think everyone in town was going to think actually happened? 
And we know that, that Joseph quietly resolved to separate from Mary until an angel appeared to him to tell him what was going on. Because he was going to need an angel to verify for him that she conceived of the Holy Spirit. But in this culture, this pregnancy meant worldly hardship, not worldly gain. And see, the favor of God upon Mary meant that God was allowing Mary to take part in the amazing things that he was doing. The favor of God on Mary meant that God was leading her into where her joy was found, even if that meant worldly hardship. Because things in this world just don't work like things do in God's kingdom. And this word favor that we see here in Luke 1 is the same word for grace or, or bless. All right, so Mary is called the favored one or the blessed one or the, the graced one. And we see this same word used in reference to us as followers of Jesus in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Look at what Paul says. Paul says, he, God, predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished upon us in the beloved. So that's the same word here, that word lavished, same word. So this grace that he lavished on us, that he blessed us with, that he favored us with or graced us with. And so I point this out because we see here in Ephesians that it is all followers of Jesus Christ, not just Mary or, or special people in the Bible. No, it's all followers of Jesus who are favored by God. If you are a recipient of the grace of God through the cross of Jesus Christ, then you are favored and blessed by God. Actually, Paul would say in Ephesians 1, you're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Because he has adopted you in his family. And look, here's the deal. God doesn't favor one child over another. He has included you into the amazing things that he is doing in the world, just like he included Mary. He is offering joy to you, even if you're facing worldly hardships. And so when God calls Mary the favored one, and when Mary praises God for his favor upon her, Look, this does not make Mary unique from you and me. God has lavished his grace upon her and is using her in his plan of redemption. And as we study the rest of Mary's song, the very things that Mary praises God for are things that we can praise God for in our lives. The kind of joy that Mary finds in God is also a joy that is available to us. And so here's what I want to do. I want to take Mary's song and break it down into two parts here. And I believe in each part, we're going to see a specific way that God's favor upon our lives brings joy through Jesus. All right? and, and it's a joy that we experience, not because it alleviates our worldly hardships, but actually it's a joy we experience in spite of our worldly hardships. It's a joy that the world can't touch. Because things in this world, they just don't work like things do in God's kingdom. And so let's jump in. Here are the, here's the first way uh, that God's favor on our lives brings joy. And that's this. Number one, God's favor satisfies our desire for greatness. 
God's favor satisfies our desire for greatness. Look at these first four verses here, 46 to 49. It says, And Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the mighty one has done great things for me. And his name is holy. Mary is in awe of the great things that God is doing in the world. And she is in awe that God is including her in those great things. Every single one of us, uh, as God's creation, we desire greatness. Uh, We want to be great and we want to be involved in great things. This is not just our pride. This is a part of our design. We are made in the image of God and our desire for greatness is a fundamental component of our joy. God built this into us. But just like every good thing that God gives to us in life, sin has a way of distorting and abusing these things that are actually designed to be for our joy. And so in our sin... This innate, God-given desire for greatness inside of us has been twisted into a desire to be greater than. Let me say that again so you get it. In our sin, this innate, God-given desire for greatness has been twisted into a desire to be greater than, to be greater than God or greater than the people around me, to be the greatest, Instead of enjoying the greatness of God, we relentlessly and joylessly pursue to be greater than. You know, imagine if if all of our dreams or everything we fantasize about or daydream about were to be realized. Uh, You become the CEO of your company or your startup idea just explodes or you get elected president or become a widely read author or a social media influencer, a famous pastor, a star athlete, a platinum musician. Maybe you earn enough money and you can buy the Redskins, which would be great if you would do that. Whatever it is, when you get to the top, when your dreams are realized, when you can say that you're greater than the rest, do you think joy will be there waiting for you? Do you think all of your insecurities will be gone? Do you think the hurt that you carry from your past won't matter anymore? Do you think there will be no more pain from loneliness? Or that addiction or destructive habit will just be cured? Or your marriage will be healed? Do you think that once you get to the top, that feeling of I just could be a little greater or I could just accomplish a little more or wouldn't it be great if I had this or I had that or if I made this accomplishment, do you think that feeling will be gone? Will it be enough? The pursuit to be greater than will kill any shot you have at joy. And in our text, Mary is not rejoicing because of the great things she has done. 
But she is rejoicing because the favor of God is on her and he is including her in his greatness. He is doing great things through her. See, your joy is found when you give up the desire to be greater than and begin to enjoy the greatness of God. That's where it's found. And Jesus is our joy because it is through Jesus that we have the favor of God upon us. As Paul said in Ephesians 1, through Jesus Christ, we've been adopted into God's family as sons and daughters, and God does not favor one of his children more than the other. So here's how this breaks down. Uh, In the workplace, you have a choice when you go to work. You can choose to work against your joy by trying to be greater than or the greatest, making that your aim. Or you can allow God to do great things through you at work. So so remember, things in this world just don't work like things in God's kingdom. So the world will say you need to be the greatest. That, That needs to be your priority. You need to try to be greater than the people around you. Because only in doing that will you climb the ladder up to the top and and up there will be joy for you. But, But there isn't joy up there for you. There's nothing wrong with going up there. God has people climb that so he can do great things for him. So there's nothing wrong with being there. But if you think joy is going to be up there, when you finally get there, what's going to happen is you're just going to be really wrong and really tired. You know, what if the great thing that God wanted to do through you at your workplace is for you to mentor someone so they could go and do great things? Or what if the great thing that God wanted to do through you was for you to be the answer to the prayer of one of your coworkers who's crying out to God to help him and and you could meet that need? And and because you're not preoccupied with just being greater than, then then you have the the wherewithal to, to notice that and to love the person you work with. Or what if the great thing God wanted to do through you was to place you as his ambassador in that place so you could shine a light in a dark place? Or what if the great thing that God wanted to do through you was just to put someone in that office who is the kindest, hardest working person there who makes that place better for everyone else? Or you can say it this way, in your marriage, you have a choice. You can choose to work against your joy by trying to prove to your spouse that you're the better, more godly one. And you can have a marriage where most of what you do is just keep score and stay bitter. I mean, what do you think is going to happen when your spouse finally bows before you and says, it's been you the whole time, you were the best one. You've been right this whole time. You think joy is found there? I promise you it's not. Or you can allow God to do great things in your marriage, right? The great thing that God wants to do through you in your marriage is to show your spouse Jesus through you. And I promise you, if both a husband and a wife give up on trying to be greater than the other and begin to love each other as Jesus loved, when both are more concerned with serving the other than being served, I promise there's joy in your marriage there. I mean, I could keep going with more examples, but I think we all get the point. If you are concerned with being greater, you volunteer for a joyless life. 
But God invites us into his greatness and wants to do great things in us. And Jesus is our joy because God's favor satisfies our desire for greatness. Here's the second way I think we see God's favor bring us joy in Mary's song, and that's this. Number two, God's favor satisfies our need for help. Look at verses 50 to 55. Mary says this, his mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done mighty things with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he spoke to our ancestors. I mean, it's obvious that as Mary praises God for the great things that he is doing, she sees God as the one who is capable and God's people as the ones who need help. God is the one who is merciful. God is the one who does the mighty deeds. God's the one who scatters the proud and brings down the worldly kings. God is the one who will feed the hungry. God is the one who helps Israel and all of Abraham's offspring, descendants. Uh, Earlier we mentioned that the Bible declares to us that that all of God's children who are in Christ are, are favored by God. That when we read about the favor of God on Mary, we can see ourselves as having that same type of favor because All of God's children have God's favor upon them. That God just doesn't favor the special people or the well-known people. Well, in the same way here, when the text says that God helps his servant Israel and remembers his mercy to Abraham and all of his descendants, the text is also referring to all of us, to you and me as followers of Jesus. Referring to everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus is a recipient of the grace of God and adopted into God's family. The text is referring to this because any person adopted into God's family is considered an offspring of Abraham, a part of God's people. And we get this right out of Galatians chapter 3 verse 29 where Paul very clearly says, And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. And I highlight this in Mary's song because it is all of God's people who need God's help. All of God's people need God's help. God never created us to be self-sufficient or to be capable on our own. And that's like that's that's one of those things where our world says, wait, no, that sounds backwards. God never created us to be self-sufficient or to be capable on our own. Things in the world just, they don't work like things do in God's kingdom. We believe in this world that our joy is found when we don't have to depend on anyone. When we have achieved true independence, financial independence, independence from any kind of authority, Because we think independence means true freedom. But let's go back to the garden. All the way back in the beginning of the Bible. To a place that was called paradise. It was perfect. This was a place where mankind was wholly dependent on God. 
And what was the first act of sin in the garden? In Genesis 3, what was the first act of sin? It was Adam and Eve declaring independence from God. We want the same knowledge as you and the same power as you, God. We don't want to rely on you. We don't want to rely on your word. We don't want to follow your rules or whatever that is. We just want to be independent from you. And God gave them exactly what they asked for. And the world plunged into the fall. Where every single person now has this backwards idea that my joy is found when I can be greater than everybody and my joy is found when I can be stronger than everyone. If I can achieve those things, that's where the good life is. And I don't care what you believe about Jesus or not, tell me that that's not an accurate diagnosis of the world where everyone is saying that at the the core of my heart, I wanna be greater than and stronger than. And it's become a broken world. And so we need God's help, not just because of our sin, but because of our design. As humanity, we need God's help, not just because of our sin, but because of our design. This is how God created us. He created us to live dependent on him, under his care, under the direction of his word, submitting to his truth. But in our sin, we are definitely doomed apart from his help. We absolutely need his help. Which is why Mary is praising God because she is carrying in her womb our help. And that's our savior, Jesus. The one who would come not to defeat the Roman Empire, but the one who would come to defeat our sin. See, Jesus would live a life without sin, but he would go die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And then he would offer his righteousness to us So we could take on Jesus' righteousness and stand before God and no longer be eligible for God's judgment because the righteousness of Jesus is on us. So just let that sink in. Talk about help. Jesus is the one who takes the punishment of our sin. He takes care of our sin. He helped us with that. And also Jesus is the one who gives us his righteousness. He lived the righteous life that that we need to live to be worthy in front of God. So he helped us with that too. You cannot come to Jesus unless you realize that you need help. You can't do it. And not just help with your record of sin, but also help with your righteousness. Unless you realize that there is nothing you can do apart from Jesus. That you are powerless and completely incapable on your own. That you cannot follow the whole law. That you cannot bear God's wrath. You cannot come to Jesus. Because we need help. Because if you want to be right with God, you have to receive the love of Jesus. And your joy is found in living your life, not needing to prove your capabilities, but in relying on your Savior. That's where your joy is found. Not improving that you're not proving that you're stronger, not proving that you're capable, but relying on your Savior and relying on your church family to help you rely on your Savior.
We rob ourselves of so much joy because we believe that our value and our worth is found in our capability. It's the biggest lie the world has told us. We miss out on joy when we refuse to display our weaknesses to God and to our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we try to play this game that I gotta pretend I'm strong at everything. We unnecessarily burden ourselves because we can't get the backwards ways of this world out of our head that tells us it's weak to ask for help, it's weak to be in need. How much anxiety does this cause us? How much insecurity in our hearts does this cause us? Our need to be seen as strong. When is the last time you asked for help, like real help? You know, when's the last time you admitted you didn't know how to do something? Or when's the last time you asked for help in your marriage? Where you went and you said, hey, we're struggling. And everyone out there thinks that we have this great, happy marriage, but we don't. I need help. And you said, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be a slave to this lie that I have to be seen as strong. Because I want joy. And believing that lie just sucks every bit of joy out of my life. When's the, when's the last time you asked for help in parenting your kids? You said, I'm just, I'm struggling. I, it's hard. It's hard to, to stay home with them or it's hard to deal with their attitudes or it's hard when they become teenagers and I'm so worried and anxious about them all the time. It's just hard and I need help. I know everyone out there thinks I'm a great mom and I know that that's what social media displays, but I'm just struggling. Help. Or when's the last time you asked for help with your finances? He said, man, we've been trying to just cover it up for 10 years. And what that means is I'm drowning in debt and I'm tired of it and I just need help. I need accountability. I need someone who knows what they're doing to come in and help me get this in the right direction. I mean, this is one of those areas that, man, we have so much pride in. And we volunteer for a joyless life because we have to be seen as strong. When was the last time you asked for help because you're just having a hard time believing in Jesus? And everyone in the church thinks that you're a strong Christian. And what would that do? How would people see you now if you were to actually go and say, hey, I just, I'm having a hard time with this. I need help. Listen, weakness is not a lack of capability, but it's the refusal to admit it. That's true weakness. By definition, humanity needs help. By definition, and listen, by definition, the Christian admits their need of God's help and is a joyful recipient of help from God. That's what it means to be a Christian. I have received the love of God through Jesus. I have admitted I cannot do this on my own. I need help. That's, that's being a Christian by definition. And so we celebrate Advent because when Jesus arrived, he came to help us, to save us. The world is wrong and it has lied to all of us. It has said, your joy is found in being greater. You do not need to be greater. The world has said, your joy is found in, in being stronger. You do not need to be stronger. 
We have a great savior, a strong savior. And those desires to be greater than or stronger than will kill your joy 100% of the time. Because all of your joy, it's only found in Jesus. And I pray for all of us this Advent season that this is something that we can just give up to God and say, God, help me to believe in my heart that I don't need to be greater than, that I don't need to be stronger than, but all of my joy is found in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, as we look at our world today, as we look at our own lives, it's so clear, it's so evident that it's, that it's so easy for us to believe these lies that, that say that our joy or, or the good life or everything that I'm looking for in life is found in achieving greatness on our own or, or being strong and not displaying any weakness. And Lord, I just pray that this week as we think about, as we reflect on Advent and the coming of Christ to come and, and help us, that, that Lord, you would just help us to surrender these beliefs to you. That you would help us to come before you and say, God, show me in, in my workplace, in my neighborhood, in my marriage, in my house, and in all the different spheres of my life, show me what it, what it means to take part in your greatness and to rely on you for everything that I need. Lord, I pray that you would use the church this Advent season to bring hope to a hopeless world, to demonstrate and show that Jesus is really where joy is truly found. It can't be found in this world. Pray that our lives would be a testimony to that fact. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things in Jesus' name.